Well, loved ones, last Sunday, Pastor Josh provided for us a wonderful Lord's Day sermon from James chapter 5 on the priority of prayer, the priority of prayer. He noted three areas of life that prayer is central. Do you remember them? Number one, it was in suffering. Number two, in cheerfulness. And number three, in affliction. And then he gave us some homework, if you remember, at the end of the sermon. He then sent us out with four applications, and he stated to us to make a plan to pray. To make a plan to pray. And then he suggested that we limit distractions distractions by actually vocalizing our prayers. When we pray, pray out loud, and also, and or writing out our prayers. It will help eliminate those distractions. Number three, he said develop prayer relationships with one another. And then finally, he said, when you kneel down to pray, wherever, whatever position you put yourself in to pray, pray until you really begin to pray. In other words, don't get up too early. You know when the God, God is working in your heart and mind as you're praying. And he says, stay put and pray until you pray. So this Lord's morning, as we continue this theme of prayer, by God's grace, we will learn how to pray for the church, i.e. Canyon Bible Church, our church, but of course the church at large. But primarily, I'm talking to us about us this morning as we look to the Apostle Paul's prayer from Colossians. After his opening greeting, Paul goes on to encourage the young church by informing them he and Timothy always, always thank God the Father for His grace for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for the love of the Holy Spirit, which has been enabling them, the Colossians, to experience and exemplify the faith, hope, and love of a Christ-centered life. He then calls on the Colossians to practice their new life in Christ in the knowledge, wisdom, and power that their God of glorious might provides for them to endure trials to endure tribulations, and to do it with patience, joy, and thanksgiving. This brings us to Paul's prayer this morning for our church. He's in Colossae, and we're going to take a look at chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 in a moment. I believe this is going to be an excellent prayer model for us. all the, all the scriptures, all the prayers in the Bible are excellent models for us. But this morning, I specifically think that this prayer, this specific prayer, is going to help us to remember our blessings, to remember our obligations as Christians to God and one another, and realize the glorious potential you and I have because Christ redeemed us. Not worldly potential, but potential to serve the Lord and serve Him well. The title of our sermon this morning is How to Pray for the Church. You could even put in there How to Pray for Canyon Bible Church, if you like. We have two simple points, really, coming from our text. Pray, we become filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's our first point. And number two, pray we live lives worthy of our Lord. So how to pray for the church. Pray we become filled with the knowledge of God's will. Wouldn't that be fantastic to know exactly what God wants us to do? Well, he does tell us in his word, but to be reminded of it and to care for one another and to be praying for one another to do do just that. 
And then pray to live lives worthy of the Lord. We're going to unpack that a little bit as we get going. Here's our main point. It's very simple. It's right from the text. Pray we, Canyon Bible Church, pray we may be filled with the knowledge of God to live lives worthy of our Lord. Pray we may be filled with the knowledge of God to live lives worthy of our Lord. I want to take a moment to read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. You do not need to stand because of our wonderful ramp, but I know you'll be standing in your hearts, right? We read this. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Paul and Timothy are writing, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What a great passage, is it not? What a great passage to start learning how to pray. And so let's do that. Let's learn how uh, to pray for our church and pray that we become filled with the knowledge of God's will as seen here in verse 9. Simply put, verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not what? We have not ceased. We've not stopped. Can you imagine? We've not stopped to pray for you. For Paul and Timothy, hearing of the initial success of the gospel for the young Corinthian church, excuse me, the Colossian church, did not lead them into complacency, but just the opposite. So they weren't saying, oh man, I'm so glad there's a church going, it's planted, man, there's saved people there, all right, we're moving on to the next deal. No, they weren't complacent about it, just the opposite. They became more fervent in their prayer. They knew what was ahead, the trouble and the difficulties and so on that the enemy would desire to destroy God's work through them. So they were more fervent, practicing what they later told the Colossians to do in chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Does that remind you of Christ in the garden talking to the apostles? Hey, stay awake. Pay attention. It's going to get nasty, right? Be watchful. Be in prayer. So, loved ones, the fact is this. When we take care when we take precious care to keep our prayers infused with thanksgiving, that's really the key, we will be less likely to sink into our normal kind of, we bore ourselves with our selfish prayers, looking for our personal desires to be met. James reminded us, reminds us that we, you ask and do not have because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Good warnings for us to remember to be thankful in our prayers and to be thinking of what God wants us to be thinking. In other words, praying Scripture, and that's what we're learning today. So continuing in verse 9, we read what Paul and Timothy 
unceasingly prayed for the spiritually young church. Listen to this as verse 9 continues. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You can feel free to pray for one another like that. Can you imagine the outcome of God working? This first element of their prayer is significant because they are asking for the Colossians to gain the full knowledge, not just knowledge, not just some idea, but the full knowledge of God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit imparted through prayer. This is vital for, uh, for us because, and for them because false teachers around Colossae were offering their own brand of knowledge and wisdom, weren't they? They were talking about Christ being a good place to start, but if you want to know the inside scoop, you want to talk to us. You need to experience the things that we can tell you, and we want to give you all of our ideas to help you along, Christian. Now, because some of the church members were certainly spiritually weak as a church plant, as a newer church plan, and of course that's in every church, and we have our own areas of spiritual weakness, don't we? And so these, these new Christians were spiritually weak, and the false teachers in their eyes came off superior. They came off very intimidating even, causing some to fall for their promise of gaining special understanding because they thought they were lacking in themselves and needed help. The Bible, uh, the Word of God was lacking, Christ Himself lacking, the Spirit of God lacking. They needed more. Have you ever felt that way in your life as a Christian, maybe as a young Christian? If that's you today, the Lord wants you to know that Christ is all in all. All in all, that's who we serve, that's who is our God. So Paul and Timothy dig in, and they hit the troubling issue head-on with prayer, asking for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of His will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This, of course, begins paving the way for the Apostles' argument later in chapters 2 and 3. If you'd like to read that later, uh, I would encourage you to do that, uh, stating that the full, uh, revealing more of the full knowledge of God's will. And we know that it is everything God has and will accomplish through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Was I clear enough? Full knowledge of God's will is understanding and knowing, is everything God has and will accomplish, accomplish through Christ. That's the center of it all. Spiritual knowledge is a gift given through God, the Holy Spirit. We can ask for it. We're learning to ask for it now, right? Who personally delivers and reveals the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to unbelievers. That's how we were saved. I remember as a new Christian, I had no doctrine whatsoever, as you can imagine. And uh, I just remembered trying to share the gospel. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd open a track and just start reading it to somebody because I really didn't put it together yet for myself. And I just, I just remember being overwhelmed when someone, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So you understand, wait a minute. You understand, right, that God is holy and righteous. Oh yeah, no doubt in my mind. And you understand that you're a sinner, right? You get that. Oh, I'm totally a sinner. Yeah, I get that. And you understand that Jesus God himself came and suffered and died and rose from the dead to, to be able to redeem you? Yeah, I do. And you know it's as simple as repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, I do. All right, would you like to do that? No. 
And I would go through, I go, wait a minute, you said that you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that's true, then you understand the end result for you. And I thought, are you kidding me? How could you possibly not get this? Are you that, you know, I won't say, that off, you know? And then I understood that it is God who saves. God is wonderful to save. He is sovereign in salvation, and He is kind to us. And that caused me in later years to go, why in the world would God redeem me? Have you ever thought that? I think it about you a lot, and uh, no, that was a joke. Sorry. Just want to make sure you're awake. It's probably had a big Father's Day breakfast. Want to keep you with me here. So, all right. Let's keep going. So, we know that it's the Holy Spirit lavishing knowledge, the Word of God, as the primary source of knowledge, not what you feel, not what come into your mind, not the result of uh, a bad dream from pepper steak late at night. It is the primary source, the knowledge that comes from God's holy Word, and it is necessary for producing, are you ready? The Christian mind. If you want the mind of Christ, you need the Christian mind. It comes from God's Word being poured into our hearts and minds on a regular basis and talking about it and sharing. One of the things I love about serving in the office with my brothers in Christ who are going to preach, we talk through a lot of times the sermons we're going to be doing. And man, we're just going at it. And you realize an hour goes by and you have just enjoyed a wonderful fellowship with God and His Word and with brothers talking about the mind of Christ being proactive and, and working out as we discuss these things. This is what Paul prays for the Colossians, a mind trained to live and breathe each day within the Christ-centered grid of biblical truth, centering on Christ, centering on Christ. Spiritual wisdom, therefore, it is said, is the ability to gather and organize doctrine from Scripture. Spiritual wisdom is the ability God gives a person, uh, gives writers of great books, gives uh, you know, very helpful tools for us, but also for us, spiritual wisdom is the ability to gather and organize doctrine from Scripture while understanding is the application that, of uh, applying that doctrine for daily living. Did we catch that? So, we're praying for one another to have the knowledge of God's will, and in that, learning also to pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding. The spiritual wisdom is the ability to gather and organize doctrine from Scripture, while understanding is the application of that doctrine in our lives, and then to help others in their lives. In this context, understanding God's will involves recognizing how Christ is the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes and how God Himself intends for Christians to live in any and all situations that we find ourselves in. No matter what's going on, God has a way through it and has a way that He wants us to live that out for His glory and for our good. And we struggle in that, don't we? Anybody still human? Yeah, we do, don't we? Often we give priority then in our prayers to what? Temporal things, stuff we want off our plate, things we want fixed so quickly. So we give this priority to praying temporal things for ourselves or for others. We ask for comfort a lot of times, and it's okay to ask these things. 
but they become our primary prayers often. We ask God for comfort and happiness and worldly success, and we often miss out praying things like for one another to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This has an eternal effect on us and others, doesn't it? Our comfort, those things are great, but we need to be training our minds to flourish, flourish each, each day in, Christ-cent, in the Christ-centered grid of biblical truth. And that comes through praying Scripture and understanding what God wants us to know. So, loved ones, I want to ask you to prayerfully commit to read your Bibles and pray for our church family, but pray specifically this week, would you, please, to be, that this church, that those who are members and visitors here and our children one day, right, that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Would anybody like to be on the receiving end of that gift from prayer? I think all of you said okay, right? You were all in? Okay. All right, I'll keep going then. So we're looking at how to pray for the church, specifically really one another. We are the church. Canyon Bible Church is our name. It's what we gather under, but we are God's church here. And so we are learning how to pray. Now as we pray for one another to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, the implication, uh uh-oh, in other words, if we become more and more filled with understanding God's will and living it out, There's an implication there. There's an expectation there then on us. Is there not? The implication as we increase in the knowledge of God's will is that we will then respond accordingly to what God's will is. Ooh, but uh, yeah, I will, but not not right now. You ever feel that way? I know God wants me to do this, but I'm just not going to do it. And then we need to learn to bring our thoughts and our lives in line with God. That's the implication. If we're going to be seriously praying to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, when He begins to reveal it and fill us with it, it's a proactive response that we need to have. Does that make sense? Because we're going to bring glory to God through that. He reveals things to us that we would bring Him glory and encourage and bless others. So this is why we also need our second point to pray that we live lives worthy of our Lord. Oh boy, it sounds like a works gospel. Hold on, hold on. So we're learning how to pray for our church. We're learning that we need to be praying to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And now we move to praying that we live lives worthy of our Lord. How glorious would that be? How beautiful would that be? How unlike our natural self would that be? As we are filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we learn what is truly truly important in the life of God's, uh, in our lives from God's perspective. Take a look at verse 10. He wants us to walk in a certain way. In other words, He wants us to live out our lives a certain way. That's what walk here means, right? It means live the Christian life. So, He wants us to, to grow in these things, to know these things, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why? Because Christians are to reflect their Creator, right? We're, we're to reflect our great God and who we are in Christ. As we are filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
Now, this connection here between wisdom and understanding from verse 9 and walking in the Lord here in verse 10 comes from the Proverbs. Did you know that? You probably would guess that if you didn't know that. Proverbs 4, verses 5 and 6. Let's begin with that. Get wisdom. Get wisdom, the author tells us. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. That is wisdom. Don't forsake her. And she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. That's wisdom. The Lord says if we ask for wisdom, He will what? Freely give it to us. Pray for wisdom. And then pray for the knowledge of how to live that out, right? Also in Proverbs 4, 12 to 14, we read this. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Indeed, wisdom is our friend. In case there's any doubt on how Christians should live their lives, Paul adds his prayer to his prayer the following words. Walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, fully what? Anybody? Fully pleasing yourself. Is that what the text says? No, that's easy, sort of. Fully pleasing Him. Now that's easy too if we're filled with the knowledge of His will and surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit to live out our life in that given moment. That's when it's great. It's gravy. It's easy, isn't it? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. The phrase fully pleasing Him tends to stress. When you hear fully pleasing Him, anybody stress out about that? We're all hardwired legalists, right? We just want to follow the law. And when somebody doesn't follow the law, we feel better about ourselves because we think today, at least for the last five minutes, I'm doing better than them. And that's a moral gospel, right? The moral gospel we've shared before, the moral gospel is, I'm either a happy moralist, going, hey, I've read my Bible four days in a row. Hey, life is going well. Good opportunities have come in business. Um, Ma'am, health-wise, I got a good report from the doctor. Man, I'm on top of the world. I'm a happy moralist. But then all of a sudden, I'm not feeling so great. Life's not so good. I get bad news. Life's hard. I don't like looking at the politics. I don't look like looking at the worldly news. And suddenly, I'm an unhappy moralist. And I go up and down on this performance cycle, and God says, that's not my gospel. That's a moral gospel. That's an anti-gospel to my gospel. My gospel is, yes, though you are a twisted, wicked sinner, and if you don't know that, repent of that, right? <laughs> but you, we're, we're wicked, twisted sinners. But even though we are sinful and flawed, you know the rest. We are always welcomed and loved through Christ. It's not about our moral performance. It's always based on what Christ has done on our behalf. And that raises our heads up. And as we are filled with the knowledge of His will, we are encouraged and built up and strengthened to care for one another, to pray more. It's an addicting thing to walk in a Christ-centered life. Peter O'Brien 
states this. He says, this is an expression, again, fully pleasing the Lord. This is an expression that describes not a frightened attitude like, ooh, I better be fully pleasing to God. No. Not a frightened attitude in the presence of a superior God, but behavior that honors the Lord because it arises out of glad obedience to Him. Glad obedience to Him. Where does glad obedience come from? Where does it come from? It comes from the gospel and the implications of living out the Christ-centered life. What do I mean by that? Let me read you a quote. Uh, If I've talked to you for more than five minutes, I've probably suggested the Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. I want to read this section um, on obedience born of love. You guys ready for that? I know you'll read this to your children. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest commandment in the law. If I could simply fulfill this one commandment, I would gladly fulfill all others as a natural matter of course. So how can I come to love God with all of my being? The Bible, he goes on to answer his question, the Bible teaches that genuine love in my heart for God is generated, listen, by by an awareness of his love for me. It's generated by an awareness of his love for me, and nowhere is the love of God more clearly revealed to me than in the gospel. Sent his son, crushed him on a cross to redeem us rebellious enemies of God at some point. goes on, Therefore, preaching the gospel to myself is a great way to keep God's amazing love before my eyes so that I might experience its power to produce in me a passionate love for Him in return. Captured by His love in this way, my smitten heart increasingly burns to do His will and feasts itself on doing so. If you've been walking with the Lord for a decent number of years, and maybe you've matured way sooner than I, which would not be an impossibility, believe me. Um, I'm 107, you may not be aware of that, but the, the need to, you know, as we grow in the Lord, as we mature in the Lord, there is more and more, as it seems, it seems there's some less involved in order to see the more of God. Do you know what I mean? Like, as we get older, certain things that we've been able to do are no longer important to us that we were known for in our lives at one point. As we mature in Christ, there are different things that, that God slowly takes our passion away from that area and puts it on Him. And then it's like our eyes become more and more open, especially if we're learning to pray like this, right, to know the knowledge of His will. You're like, oh, I see what's going on, right? And it's not like behind the curtain thing. It's like God revealing what He's doing, and you're thankful, and you're overwhelmed with the smallest of blessings because you realize the longer you walk with the Lord that everything you have, whether it's a material thing or who you are in Christ, is not in your own doing. It was because of His sovereign blessing in your life. Do you understand what I mean? Is that a yes? Okay, yeah, all right. All right, just check it. I love you guys. 
So, and I'll say that with this line, loved ones, how about that? It is practicing gospel-centeredness which bears fruit in the lives of God's people. That's it. We never graduate. It's been written. We never graduate from the gospel of grace. Rather, we move more deeply into it over time as we continue to see how profoundly sinful we are, yet how much more profoundly gracious God is. Don't you love that? So what does behavior that honors God out of glad obedience look like? Well, thankfully, the authors give us the answers here in our passage this morning. We'll look at four traits of a Christian's life that um, it brings pleasure to God. He loves us. Uh, he sees Christ in us, and so we, we, we are pleasing to Him. But when we respond, right, like we love our children, but when they respond with the things that are vital for them to do or learn, we're, 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 we're even more pleased in that sense. So the first trait the apostle prays for the Christians is to be bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. What does that mean? First of all, every good work, what is that? Every good work is the fruit of our salvation. It's the fruit of salvation in the life of every Christian but never a prerequisite for entering in to our relationship with Christ. Are you catching that? We don't do good works to enter into God's approval from non-Christian to become a Christian. No, that could never happen or His Son died in vain. We wouldn't need a Savior. But Christ Himself, God Himself, died for our sin. And He surrendered Uh, that to his father so that the prerequisite is God redeeming us and us living out these good works to bring glory to God. Does that make sense? In Colossians 1, 5, and 6, just previous to these verses, Paul declared the word of truth, the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Wait, they're already saved. How is the gospel increasing? Because their Christ-centeredness, their gospel-centeredness was growing, and they were now being more and more motivated by God's grace and His goodness and His kindness and His love to serve Him and fall deeper in love with Him. Ask the Lord to change your heart to fall more in love with Him, and I promise you, He wants to answer that prayer for you. Watch what happens. So the first trait in the life of a Christian is sharing the gospel so more souls are redeemed to the glory of God. What naturally follows then is is the apostle's plea to God on behalf of others for profound spiritual growth in all areas of life. Take a look at our second trait. He wants us to pray for uh, a believer's life to increase, do you see that? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing means to become progressively greater in the knowledge of God. Not arrogant, but increasingly greater in personal knowledge of our God. As we increase in the knowledge of our God, our understanding of Him does what? It grows. And then our personal relationship also grows, or I should say deepens with Him. Why? Because we see how magnificent He is. 
You're so beautiful. You're so caring. You love me so much. And the more we see that, the more we realize how great and wonderful our God is, and we want to deepen our relationship with Him. Brothers and sisters, please pray for our church family to live in the Word this week and the weeks ahead and increase in the knowledge of our wonderful God. Not that we're lacking in, in per se, but let's be really on fire. Let's live the Word of God. Next, Paul tells us the third trait for us to pray, to have for praying, which is vital for the Christian life. He says in verse 11, be strengthened with all power. Man, pray for me. Pray, I'll pray for you to be strengthened in all power. Not in my own power, but to live in such a way that is worthy to the Lord that requires God's power beyond what I can do on my own. Does that make sense? Show me what you want to do, Lord. I don't have the energy. I'm tired. I'm sick. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I need somebody to love me. I don't love anybody. Whatever. Show me, Lord. Cause me to be strengthened with all power that I might live the worthy life that requires your power and, and where I run out of gas. Just take me from there all the way. Let's go. The standard set before these new Christians, these Colossian Christians, and of course each of us are very high in this prayer, are they not? They can be overwhelming. We're called to walk worthy, fully pleasing our Lord, bearing fruit, being about God's business, right? Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you note there's a responsibility to the Christian life? It's glorious, isn't it? I don't know what to do with my life. Yes, you do. I don't know how to live my life for God. Yes, you do. Nothing short of God's power at work within us can enable us to live. Did you catch that in ourselves? Nothing short of God's power at work within us can enable us to live out the rest of our lives to His glory like this. It will only happen, listen, don't compare yourself to anyone else either. It will only happen according to His, His glorious might. That's great. I don't know about you, but I, I run out of gas about 4.30 every day. By 7, it's over. Of course, I'm up by 4, but it's kind of how that goes. And understand this, that God's glorious might always exceeds our needs. Ephesians 1.19 calls it the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might. Excuse me, let me read that again. Ephesians 1.19 speaks of this as the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. We're the recipients, according to the working of His great might. This ongoing greatness of His power toward us is astounding. It strengthens us, and it's ours for what purpose? Verse 11, for all endurance and patience 
with joy. Whenever we endure patiently in, this, in His strength as we suffer, we definitely reveal to others that we have hope in something beyond ourselves, do we not? And is that not the point or the reason the Lord may bring suffering in to bring glory to Himself and to strengthen and build us up and mature us? We've been learning how to pray for the church, our church. We learned to pray we become filled with the knowledge of God's will, and then, and then we we're looking at pray that we live lives worthy of our Lord. We looked at four quick traits, to be praying for one another, to bear fruit, to increase in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with the power of His might for living the Christian life. And now fourth, and finally, the fourth trait that the apostle prayed for the young church was for them to be giving thanks to the Father. We're tying back kind of around again to the thankful heart, aren't we? When I have a thankful heart, I want to pray for you more. The more thankful I am for you, the more I want to pray for you. And that goes back and forth, doesn't it? That's how that works. And it's more importantly with the Father. We give thanks to Him. In verses 12 through 14, Paul identifies three quick reasons for giving thanks to the Father. And we'll close with these. So we're going to expand this fourth trait a little bit. Throughout his epistles, whenever Paul is giving thanks, his inward attitude is expressed outwardly for others to see and hear. He's not being prideful in that. He wants, he's a teacher. He wants us to be a learner. He wants those around him to be a learner. That's a great, great application here for us. Why is it important for all of us to do that? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.15, why he does stuff. Listen, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It's great to brag on the Lord, isn't it? Because he gets all the glory. We don't. We get out of the way. So let's glean from Paul's three reasons for joyful thankfulness. Are you ready? Paul tells the Colossians his first reason for giving thanks to the Father is because, verse 12, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now that's the inheritance you want. Our Heavenly Father acts on behalf of His people and graciously gives all He calls to Himself, an eternal inheritance in Christ. Our Heavenly Father acts on behalf of His people Christians, right? And graciously gives all he calls to himself an eternal inheritance in Christ. How glorious. This is a present reality. This is a fact of what God is doing and has done. In 1 Peter 2.9, he states, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are presently in His light, but it is also a future reality for us which is far greater as we are being made ready for our ultimate inheritance in light, in His light with Him. This inheritance is our hope laid up in heaven as promised. 
and is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What an inheritance to finally see our Lord face to face, to finally know his beauty and grace and overflowing with holiness and kindness and love. All because God the Father qualified us for it. We don't qualify ourselves. There is no earning as we stated. The Father qualifies us. It was not due to anything we've done, friends. It is all of Him, and we should offer Him joyous thanks for it all day long. For we will learn then what, you know, when we go into heaven, we'll be doing that all the time, right? Next in verses 13 and 14, uh, Paul explains the meaning of verse 12 by emphasizing the remarkable change God brings about when He redeems us, when He redeems people. If you have not yet been redeemed by God, listen, please, for the second reason. We're looking at the second reason for joyful thanksgiving. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, blindness, spiritual blindness, and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Like every unredeemed soul and us before we were redeemed, the Colossians had been under the control of the evil one and under his tyrannical rule the dominion, in the dominion of darkness. Though it doesn't feel like darkness sometimes when you're unredeemed until it's all darkness and the Lord redeems you into the light. Paul describes their circumstances in Colossians 1.21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Does that sound like any of us before we were redeemed? I hear that, yes. Talk to that guy, please. But in verse 13, Paul proclaims God delivered us, and that includes Paul himself and believers, from the tyranny of darkness. God freed those sinners and transferred them from here to there into the kingdom where His beloved Son rules, a kingdom wrapped, fully soaked in His love. Christian, that was you and me. And it is for this reason, when we think of these things, we are stirred up with joyous thanksgiving to the glory of God, are we not? When we're thankful, we bring glory to God as well, right? And we get stirred up. This inheritance is our hope laid up in heaven and is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've stated. The third reason to give joyous thanks to God is that we've been liberated and set free from spiritual bondage through the blood of Christ. In whom, verse 14, Christ Himself, in whom we have redemption. Paid off. Slave paid off. Slave to sin paid off. We have the forgiveness of sins. Man, if that doesn't make you thankful, right? Genuine Christians have been redeemed. Freed from spiritual bondage, the bondage of sin, death, and hell, because the unfathomable price was paid for us through the death of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Friends, we are in Christ. We who are in Christ have endless reasons to be thankful. Much to keep our head up and our prayers about this week, regardless of our current circumstances. And don't suffer alone. We want to care for you. Even if you brought it on yourself, we're not going to judge you unnecessarily. I'm kidding. We want to care for you, don't you? Don't you want to care for me? I want to care for you. Let's care for one another. We have this endless reason, endless reasons to be thankful. We are in Christ. That is our present reality right now. And we bow our hearts in joyful thankfulness because, let me lay some things out for you, because God's gospel enables us to deal with momentary experiences because it assures us of the permanence of His promises, of God's promises. Our fleeting experiences, no matter how difficult, are dealt with because God shows us the permanence of His promises. Yeah, this is tough, but I have this comment. When we are momentarily afflicted, we are certain that we will not be crushed. Why? Because Jesus was already crushed on our behalf. We're going to make it. When we, were, when we are persecuted, we know that God will not forsake us. Why? Because Jesus was already forsaken in our place to the nth degree. And when we one day experience death, we need not fear as Christians. For we know that we will experience resurrection life because Jesus bore the penalty of death on our behalf. So friends, as a church growing in the knowledge of Christ and His will and seeking to walk worthy of Him, you and I can begin to expect more and more of our Lord of seeing, actually seeing the greatness He's already doing around us and so much more as we pray, fervently pray through Colossians 1, 9-14 for one another with joyful thanksgiving to God in our hearts. This morning we've looked at how to pray for the church, our church. We learn to pray in a way that we become filled with the knowledge of God's will. And we learn to pray that we will live lives worthy of our Lord. The main point was, as you know, pray we may be filled with the knowledge of God to live lives worthy of our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we stand before you now. Um, I pray motivated and excited about you and your goodness to us. This incredible bounty of kindness you have lavished on us in your word this morning, not necessarily my preaching, but your word is powerful. We trust you, Lord, to be working these things out. Give us a desire to pray like this for one another. May even our past circumstances where we were feeling alone and empty move our hearts to want to pray, even though we don't feel that now, but move our hearts in that way now to encourage one another, that we would have the eyes to see our friends and family around us who are going through difficult times, who have weak knees, who need us to help bolster them up.